Would you rather be a leader and in control of your life or would you rather be a victim in your life? I vote leader and in control. I think most people would far prefer leader and in control than victim. Well, here's good news because according to Steve Kelly, who I'm going to talk to in just a couple minutes, he's the author of Break the Curse, a great book about the powerful opportunity for everybody to be a leader in their own lives. According to Steve, no matter the hand you're dealt, and a lot of people are dealt some pretty bad hands, you have the choice to reframe it, which puts you in a power position rather than a victim one. So listen to me while I talk to Steve. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. And please do me a favor, share this with others so that they too can get in control of their lives. And be sure to rate and review it. We want more people knowing about the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast and helping them to have great lives. Hi, Facebook. We are streaming. I'm going to go to gallery, say goodbye to my friend who helps me hold my hand every day to set, get set up. And let me say hi, I'm Sarah Heiner. And welcome to our Bottom Line Advocator Podcast, or not podcast, our, our, our Facebook Lives. Um, so excited that you're here with me today. I'm excited. We're going to shift it up a little bit. I've been trying to mix it up a little because I think that um, COVID is so top of mind for everybody and we have regular updates on it, but I think sometimes we actually need a break from that as well. I think it's important to remember that there are other aspects of our life. So today I'm really excited actually to um, talk about leadership and what we each can do and need to do to be in control of our lives as we sit here I'll call it being victim of um, COVID or the um, po politics or the media or whatever. Like there's so many things that are locking us down and making us feel like victims. And my um, guest today, Steve Kelly, you can see him now because I forgot to put him on his own little hole for the moment, um, has had an amazing life where he refused to be a victim and he overcame and um, his lessons in leadership and his lessons in resilience and, and framing. And we're going to talk about all of that. Um, let me just remind you that we have a whole growing catalog of our videos. Um, they're in either the Facebook, uh, Bottom Line Inc. Facebook page, or we actually have a YouTube channel as well, um, which is Bottom Line Inc.'s YouTube channel. So you can subscribe to that. Tell your friends about it. Share this information because we talk to some of the greatest experts and we talk to them in a way that the mass media is not doing. I do not have an agenda except to have you learn and be as empowered as you can for the decisions in your life. Um, if you have any questions, um, my, my trusted friend is going to be sending me little comments. If you have anything, put your comments into Facebook. Um, and then any comments, uh, questions or comments for Steve, then pass them all along or for me. Um, and uh, I will bring them into the conversation as, as we can. Um, let me introduce for you now. I have to always read it because they, the bios are just so great. So this is Steve Kelly, actually. Um, and he is what I'll call the quintessential self-made man. From the time he was a child, he, he broke out and started self-making himself. He's a successful entrepreneur, the owner of a roofing company, and he's a real estate developer. He's a college professor of entrepreneurship, conflict management, and negotiation. All of this self-made, all of this from, from, just from, from who he drove himself to be. He's a public speaker. He's a personal coach. Um, he is an uh, avid um, mountain bike rider and runner. Um, he's the author of the new book called Break the Curse, A Template to Change. This is actually his second book. So his first book is really sweet. It was called The Fox Who Sneezed, and it was co-authored with his granddaughter. So he writes children's books, and he writes inspirational books for adults. Um, you can learn more about Steve and how to take control of your own life at breakthecurse.com. Steve, welcome. I'm so glad that you joined us today. Well, thank you, Sarah. I, I actually want to meet this guy the way you introduced him. <laughs> I hear he's a really great guy, and I got to tell you, I read his book, and it was a really inspiring book. 
<laughs> no, that's a very lovely introduction. Thank you so much. Well, it is my delight. And again, it's my delight to have you on. Um, now, you wrote this book. It's really interesting. Right at the beginning of the book, you say that you wrote the book to break the curse of bad leadership, which is passed down through generations, and that there is um, a legacy of bad leadership. Um, so explain that, because I, you know, we're, we're going to shift this to being we don't need to be victims, and that that's the whole point of this. So talk about that legacy and, and what you're calling the curse that's passed down. So I have a rather controversial point of view about the size of families. And um, I believe that for a great many parents and families, uh, they take on too many children, frankly. So some of us be great with one child, some of us be great with three, maybe four. But um, what happens a lot in my view and my experience with others is that they um, outkid themselves and it becomes a curse. And, and people sort of shrink away from that and, and um, you know, think that everybody is, has value no matter who you bring into your family. And, and there's truth to both sides of that, but I really believe that um, in, my, in my family, certainly, um, we had five kids and as each kid was added to the fold, my parents buckled more and more under the pressure they ended up um, gravitating towards uh, drinking and, and depression, and then a lot of anger issues and uh, temper tantrums that uh, the children in the family witnessed and then had to find a way to, to shed those bad behaviors. So I'm gonna look back on you because there are a whole lot of people that I know from a whole lot of big families who had a really great experience. Um, and there's no question, you had a really challenging experience and challenging parents who who struggled with the life that they chose. Yep. Um, but, you know, there are the people that say that, say, you know, if they're an only child, then they have other issues with their parents and, you know, parents that are hovering yes. over them and over controlling them and living their lives. Um, so I'm going to push back on you actually for a second on that and say, do you think that if your parents, and we're going to talk about framing it a little bit, and I think this is going to cycle back to it. I'm going to challenge you. Um, do you think that if you only had one child in your family, if your parents only had one child, that they would not have had any anger issues, drinking issues, any of these challenges that, that I'll call okay. were, were core to who they were, that somehow they were dealing with challenges of life? Well, first of all, we wouldn't be having the interview because I was the second child. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, I wasn't picking which child. But my okay. point is that, you know, that like I, I have a hard time that, that was it really about the five kids or we're going to, again, you're going to, we're going to talk about framing and maybe we'll need to jump to that next mm -hmm. um, because it's how you perceive the world is framing and how you interpret and evaluate the world. Right. So you're framing your world that they were unable to handle a lot of children. And as a result, your childhood was bad and their marriage fell apart. Um, I think they held their marriage together, um, but the, the trauma that they sort of expressed to their children, if you would, it got worse the more kids. So we had two kids in a family. Uh, then the third kid was added. They became less able to handle the pressure. A fourth kid was added, even less able. So maybe if they were different people, if they had chosen different mates, um, if they had a different upbringing, all of these things that combine to... Um, to generate a, uh, the life that they give their children um, are important. And I think for them, um, it, it was a curse that they created. And, 
they were not able to overcome it well, and the children suffered. And I, and by the way, I see it. It's not just my family. I mean, I see uh, children of alcoholics. Mm -hmm. I see drug addicts, and they look up to their, they look to where they came from, their so social upbringing. And sure enough, there are those same markers of pressure that has been created. And I think, gee, wouldn't it be wonderful if the parents could have known that, you know, have one kid, and then see how you do. What if there were had a challenge right so what if someone lost a job what if they had you know your life has been full of challenges so you had again i didn't i didn't intend that we were going to go down this way so but this That's is okay. fascinating so um you know what if the, what if because there are parents out there and I'm, I'm being protective because i know that there are a lot of people out there who come from all sorts of backgrounds and i don't want to get stuck on the fact that if you have a big family or a small family, like parents have their challenges. And I think that's the biggest thing that you, that catalyzed you to change. Whatever, you know, whether it was big families or small, you took on a responsibility and you pushed yourself and said, this isn't the life that I want to have. And you had a strength about you. Exactly. And also that you have to consider what support did they have? So for instance, right now, I live in a multi-generational home. I have my wife, her son, I have my granddaughter and grandson. They live on the other side of our house. We have like a double-sided house, like a duplex. Right. And we're there to support them. So they could have two more kids if they wanted because they have a great support structure. Right. And, and maybe you have people that have like a, a good religious faith that supports them. But in the case of my parents, there was not enough support and the results were almost predictable. And, and I've got friends that their kids have had troubles, if you would, challenges, and that was predictable. So that predictability piece is the piece that I rail against or uh, would like to see us all change. And, and how can we do that? And it starts with this idea of how, what is the self-propaganda that you give yourself? How do you frame things that come into your life and how does that create an attitude that allows that, that you are going to use to observe, focus on, and um, compete with the challenges that everybody gets, whether it's a job loss during, everyone's gonna get something, right? In this case, everyone did get something with COVID-19, everyone. So now how are we all handling that? And I mean, it's hard for someone to walk back uh, the, the number of children that they have, and I'm not asking them to. Um, I like to, like at some point in any interview, I like to inject that, I have enough trouble running my life. I'm not going to tell you how to run yours. Well, but let's, let's jump to that concept of framing, actually, because again, that this is what's underneath it. So, you, um, but first, why don't you define what framing is, and then we'll. Okay. Go from there. So, um, framing is um, your bias, your the, your intention, the perceptions you have, and the understandings you have, and how you gather that to create the sense making about the world. How do you see the world? But everybody sees the world through the lens of what's behind them. So in other words, how they've been formed, what, what they've seen, what they've been taught, uh, create biases for them. And I even have, have in the book, I have a little thing about a red, after a red car and how do you learn what color is red? And, and that, that's one of your learnings is, is that colors are a certain color, but who says so? And we say red, but someone else says orange. And so that's a bias that people don't see. And there are a lot of biases that people don't see. So those blind spots are, are some of the things I focus people to understand so that they can like redo their, their thought processes and see things more clearly. Clear thinking is so critical, especially in these times today. 
So in framing, um, people get messages. Some of it is the messages that are given to them from the outside. And then some of it is what they've decided the world is, right? right. So it could be, you know, somebody uh, thinks they're stupid. Somebody thinks they're too small. Somebody thinks they're too big. Somebody like, those yes. are all the messages that we bring in. Yes. And then the importance of, so how do the importance of, then of shifting that, seeing it and then shifting it. Right, so the framing is how you convey meaning. As I said, it's your, your own personal propaganda. So um, it's also how meaning is conveyed to you. So everything you hear you, is interpreted and your interpretation comes through frames and then you, re, you sort of digest that with your biases and then you make a mental statement to yourself and to the world expressed in words um, often, but it could be just visuals. Like for instance, um, if you introduce me to somebody and I reach to shake their hands and they don't shake my hands and I roll my eyes, oh, so then I'm conveying meaning there. So that's a bias, intention, perception, and an understanding through communication. So whenever we communicate, we're expressing bias. So that, that bias um, is very important to recognize and to neutralize. So give me an example of a framing that held you back. That held me back. Mm -hmm. So um, I think um, there were people that I met. I, so uh, we talked a little bit about mentoring in the book. I, I devote a chapter to mentoring. And um, the question was asked, so did you have a good mentor when you were younger? And I, I didn't. And the reason was that I wasn't mentoring material. I mean, people would meet me and go, <laughs> you know, it's like, he's not attentive, let's say. He's not polite enough. He's too selfish. And, and they may not have expressed those words, but the thoughts were there and that pushed people away. And I needed to rework myself to become mentoring material. And so that's an example of how bias um, is sort of built into a person who hasn't had good experience, good training by the people around them. Well, but we have to know that a framing within ourselves that holds ourselves back. I think, I think some of these frames you talked about that it creates you to be a victim. And your whole thing is not to be a victim and yes. then to take personal responsibility to be able to be empowered. So how does somebody see the frames that are holding them back? How can they find those or see it? Well, let's say that um, when they meet somebody, they, they're so self-conscious, they say, oh, I'm, I'm too fat. You know, and, and, they, and then they, everything's sort of focused on they're too fat when they're not too fat, they're, they're people, they're, they're just... They're focusing on looks and the wrong thing instead of um, just trying to meet a person and having um, a good representation of themselves. But they, they start to think in terms of the way the world, they think the world sees them or should, or should see a person. And those are all biases that we need to reject. And um, what we have to do to do that is to have goals, right? That's uh, chapter two of the book is setting effective goals. And, you got to know what you want. Um, I, I tell a little story about a, a monk who answers questions by just asking, who are you? And, and continually, like he pounds the, the table when you ask a question, he says, who are you? That's the answer to all your questions. He said, well, should I change my religion? Who are you? Should, should I uh, do more with my kids? Who are you? And it, this whole idea of learning who you are and understanding yourself and your biases is very important to you uh, changing yourself 
uh, to become more successful. So let's go back to you were a little kid and you saw something in your family that wasn't working and you decided that wasn't right. You know, who are you? Yeah. You know, you know who I'm, I'm this, this victim of this family. And then you decide to break out. Yeah. So was that, I mean, I forget, I can't recall. I'm sorry how old you were when you did this. You were very young, eight, 10, you were little. Um, no, I think I was seven. I, um, oh, I, by the way, my office is at a train station, so you're going to hear the train in the background for a minute, so I apologize. But, um, what a lovely so, sound. And so at a very young age, um, I got in trouble for doing something that I did, typical child thing, and my, my mother had a temper tantrum, pulled my hair so much that she pulled a whole, like a full a handful of hair right out of my head. And I just ran away and didn't come back for a day. <laughs> so I was really rebellious and I knew that things weren't right. And um, so that has made me to sort of identify with breaking rules a little bit and, and trying to um, find my own place and not, not be the person I was patterned to be. So what do you think when you were patterned to be? Were you patterned to be a rule breaker? Breaking rules ended up being a good thing for you because you broke out of, you know, yes. I'm, really, I'm pushing on this because people want people to understand, like you don't have to be a victim of your parents, but there's a conscious decision that you made. And a lot of people aren't as strong as you are. And so that is, is everybody capable of changing their path back to the legacy of what your parents give you is everybody capable of changing what that path is. Um, there's a famous historian, his name's Charles Beard, and he has these four points that he says. And the fourth point is only when it is truly dark can one see all the stars. Right. And I, I sense that that was my upbringing was truly dark. And that's what made me to be able to see. So if you had like more moderate influences, I think you might not be able to break out of those influences as easily. But because I could feel like an oppression of darkness, I said, this is, none of this is going. Um, and, and I want to um, sort of give, not forgiveness, but understanding to my parents, um, as much as I uh, am almost excoriating them as part of this book, it's not really meant to do that, but it's meant to let people understand it. I'll give you an example. I, in construction, and I would often come across wood, I called my father one time and I said, um, I have some wood for you. And he said, good. Cut it, split it, and deliver it, and I'll take it. And I looked at the phone. I just hung up the phone. I didn't even answer anymore. I said, I'm done with this. And it took years before I talked to him again. I mean, th there was that selfishness that was impossible. If you take on that selfishness as part of your upbringing, you will not be successful. Mm -hmm. You have to collaborate with people. You have to want to be interested in their interests as well as your own. And so if you're taught, and, and so many of the people, underprivileged people, and some of the very privileged people as well, are taught the selfishness that needs to be rejected. So I think that's what the book attempts to do is to teach yourself, what did you, what did you learn? Look at it closely and ask yourself, is that where you want to be? Were you frightened when you broke from your family? I, th I think it's a, a long time, long-term fright. I mean, it's a long-term standalone. Because you because, broke, it was through a series of years. You started when you were seven, or seven, yeah. but then you know you broke in a larger way as you got older. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's children across the world that had it much worse than I am. I mean, people in very devastated areas they don't have food, right? So I think that we're also talking about degrees here. I I had food, so I, I really 
can't complain in the way that I'm complaining in a way that should be marginalized a little bit because um, I had work to do to to make myself someone out of the environment I was in, just like the people in other countries who come here looking for a better life, right? So, um, but my my existence was a lot of mental trauma that had gone on, and and I think you you end up fighting that your whole life. So, um, but it it did have the benefit of making me extremely independent and that had very helpful consequences. At age 19, I started my own business and I never looked back. I just owned my own business. And um, it was, I learned how to do things the hard way at the very beginning. It's been hugely successful. Let's talk about personal responsibility um, because that is a major theme that goes through all of this um, with framing, with um, commitment to community, with relationships that it all circles in personal responsibility. And you really own literally everything in your relationships, in your actions. Talk about that for a second. Okay, so I think the most, an example that will resonate with your audience, um, almost any audience. Um, so I have apartments and I rent to tenants. And I'll tell you a quick story about um, my worst tenant ever. So my worst tenant ever, when they moved out, um, they took the sink with them. So that, that may sound bad, but it's crazy. But what was crazier is they cut it out and didn't shut the water off. I found out two days later, later when the cellar was three feet deep in water. Oh, my God. Okay. Were so they now, why did they do that? Um, they had had a bad upbringing. That's why they did it. So, so, they, so they left and took a sink and turned the water on? Yep. Well, no, they cut the sink because they wanted it, apparently. And they, they cut the pipes but left the water running. So they flooded the cellar. I found out two days later. So whose fault is that? That's my fault. You want to know why? Number one, who decided to be in the apartment rental business? I did. Number two, who rented to them? I did. I'm responsible for everyone I bring into my life. I don't blame other people. I don't blame them. They're on their way. I forgive them. Goodbye, good luck, good riddance, frankly. And I have to fix that. Now, guess what taking that responsibility did? It made me much more conscientious of who I'm renting to now because I don't blame that person. If I blame them, I'd be like, oh, who's the next jerk that's coming along? No, I blame myself. Okay, so now I have to refine my systems of who I'll rent to. So it's my fault, everybody in my life, and that goes for friends, it goes for a wife, it goes for everybody. I bring them in, I'm responsible for any interaction that they make with me. I think that's such a concept. I want to talk about the fire in your house as well. Um, that it puts you, it gives you so much power to take responsibility rather than blaming, rather than being victim, rather yes. than, you know, the, I'm watching this in Connecticut. We had a terrible, the storm came through a couple weeks ago or the other day. We have power out. I've got my no, you know, no power hair on today. And <laughs> I'm watching the governor blaming, he wants to open an investigation and blame the the electric company that they're taking so long to get things repaired. And I'm thinking, didn't you have a conversation five days ago when they knew the storm was coming up the coast to check in with the electric company, to check in with the tree people, whoever you need to check in with and say, let's run through the process. Yes. And, and make sure everything is in order before the storm hits. Maybe we won't need it, but maybe we will. And so let, let's all of the audience take responsibility now. Who hired the governor? 
all the people in Connecticut. It's a democracy. Okay, come on. You did a terrible job picking that governor and a terrible job in the, in the cities that have mayors that are terribly, frankly, just screwing up big time. Well, we're so, not going to go there. You okay, and I can but, do that separally. We're not going to go okay. to that. But, but you understand that stop blaming the governor, get together with the people. What could you have done differently? You could have got your team together, said, this is the kind of person we want to run the city or the, or the um, state or the country. Let's get together and make that happen. Because what you could have done differently to change the outcome was put someone different in there. This isn't an authoritarian oh, regime. That's true. And everybody can vote and we've got elections coming up. But even yeah. as, I think it's just a, an example of t owning your responsibility versus pointing the finger at it's somebody else's fault. So right. you had a tragedy happen. You had a beautiful house um, yes. and you had a tragic fire. And again, you could have easily played victim, but you didn't. You learned important lessons from that. Yeah, it, it was interesting that uh, the house burnt down. My son was with me at the time, thankfully, by the way. Um, and the fire department came and there was a news reporter. It was very nice to me, by the way. And uh, there were it was, it was smoke everywhere. And, and the fire uh, department people were putting the fire out and the news reporter came up to me and she said, she said to me, good luck, you're going to need it. They think you did it. Wow. And it was so nice of her to do that, by the way. Um, so, you know, this kindness is in the world that we don't realize sometimes, but that really tipped me off. And what a surprise to me because I've never had a house burned down and actually, you know, people are accusing me of doing it. So I had to figure out you know, what could I do differently? And, and what was interesting was they subsequently found out that the fire related to a GFI breaker mm -hmm. that did not have uh, a GFI outlet, right? A general, a, a great, uh, what do we call it? Ground fault interrupter for those of you who are uninitiated or whatever. So that's something that prevents, that prevents you to get shocked, right? But if you don't put a, um, a GFI breaker in, the power still goes to the outlet, even though you won't get shocked. So the power was at the outlet and it kept uh, arcing until it set the fire. Wow. So what could I have done differently? I could have um, said, look, I'm going to put GFI breakers in, in behind the GFI outlets. And I didn't. And I suffered that fire as a result. Um, so that, that was, it, it allows me to not be so blaming and not say, oh, I can't believe they did that. No, I can believe they did it. They were in earnest trying to solve a problem and, and they're human too. So does it also help you not wallow in the sadness of it? When you, you told a similar story about your divorce, that, um, but that it, again, it helps you move past because if you want to, again, wallow in that, well, I had a fire and then they wanted to accuse me or I had a bad divorce, versus it puts you in action of what can I do for the future and how do I make it different rather than being stuck in that something happened to me place. So a couple of things. So one, one is, I have this saying, if you're going to be miserable, you might as well be happy about it. Okay, so that's, that sort of sets the tone, right? We're not going to, we're not going to wallow in anything, right? And, and that, um, that just helps you to move forward. And the second thing is that any idiot can make things worse than they are. Mm -hmm. And I try to, um, I, I define maturity as the ability to make the best of everything. Not just the easy stuff, mm -hmm. everything that happens to you. Right. So it could be someone has had a death in their family. I mean, one of the most horrible things now is people who die with COVID and their family can't see them and that person dies lonely. So how do you make the best of that? That's, we have really hard times that we're dealing with, but I consider it my role in life to make the best of everything. I'm, I'm gonna figure it out. And um, I just was, uh, in, in 2018, I was uh, diagnosed with brain cancer. 
So what do you do about it? So I called my family up and said, let's have a bowling party. <laughs> and they thought I was crazy. And I was crazy and I am crazy. Right. We had a great bowling party and I provided them with hope. And, and my thinking was that, look, we'll find a way through. I don't know how, but we're going to do it. And we did. And now we're um, two and a half years later. I'm not quite two and a half, about two years later. Right. And they gave me three to six weeks to live. And guess what? I'm still smiling at you on this show and, and, and nothing's going to stop me. I, I just feel that um, we're going to find a way through the best way we can and we're going to be okay. That's huge. What a great sentiment. Now, you, back to responsibility, there's a great quote in the book that you um, credit. You have a, a couple of mentors. One was Linda Ostrander and she has it. And there's something about things happen in, in life in one of three ways, by chance, by choice, or by crisis, except you say, uh-uh. Everything is by choice. Yes. Even even what what like there are things that happen. Go, go defend yourself because there are people out there going, come on. There are things that just aren't my fault. So there's a storm. A tree falls on my house. I couldn't help that. The wind blew down. Or uh, no. I'm okay. driving along the highway. I'm going 55 miles an hour, and a truck hits me. Go. Okay. So there are those crises, okay? But they're far fewer than people give credit for. In other words, they want to blame everything on a crisis. I've only seen one in a thousand that is a real crisis. Like the tree falls on your house, right? Okay. Can't really control that. But did you have insurance? If you have insurance, you're going to just, maybe you'll get a whole new roof. So that, that idea that- the trees checked every year, like you really should. <laughs> but the idea that you're overwhelmed because of things that happen, they're very few and far between. You could give me say four or five examples now, and I'll give you like crisis or not. And you would see that I would view most things as what are the choices that you made? Like someone who we talked about the people who cut the sink out of the apartment, right? So someone could say that's crisis or that's their fault. But instead I say, no, that's a choice. I chose to put that tenant in. That's what I could have done differently is chose a better tenant. So you so, coach people. What are some other examples of, I'll call it people, the choices, things that people could choose rather than play victim? What are the, they call, call it the common things that people complain to you for? Oh, the best thing is divorce. You hear guys all the time, right? They're complaining about their wives, you know, going through a divorce and she's doing this and she's doing that, right? And no, 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 no. What could you have done differently? You could have chosen someone else. All the beautiful women in the world, you chose that one, okay? Come on now. If you chose differently, you brought that person in your life, you would not be um, in the situation you're in had you chosen differently. So even though now that you're here, you can say, oh, well, this is just, you know, befallen, befallen me. No, 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 no. Look back to when the decision was made to bring that person in your life. Did you do the best job you could have, of, you know, get deciding? Um, I would say this, it's going to be sound a little funny, but we're, let's have some fun. So if you're going to marry somebody, you should get to know their mother. Okay. <laughs> that's a person that, that's the person who has a lot of control on, on uh, how that person came out. I mean, so you know, like you're marrying a person, a, a woman, you're marrying a mother too. And so, um, but those are some ideas just to think about taking responsibility for all of your choices. Well, and I think even, it's not, it's not just, it's great in terms of who you're choosing. I thousand percent agree with you. It's also the choices along the way in the relationship. I had somebody okay. complaining at me a bunch of years ago. She's complaining. She, she complained to all of our friends about her husband and he's this and he's that, he's the other thing. And I called her up and I said, you know, I watched this guy and he's actually pretty good to you. So, but do you ever say thank you? 
do you ever make sure like when you see them in the morning that you give them a big hello and a big kiss and tell them that you love them and same thing at night and really attend to him that there's choices that we all make every day to nurture those relationships that also are part of that marital thing i just needed to put that in there yeah and, and let me add another thing so who said you have to get married you could be single so those are choices that you're making then you want to blame people for outcomes in your life that was clearly dependent on your choice to become a married person. Yeah. So your life would be different had you made other choices. So the idea that you can't control your life or that other people are having this tremendous effect when in fact you've had the primary effect and then the other effects are ancillary to your decision making. Let's talk about the people that we choose to have in our life. Um, because we all have some people in our life who were great and we have some people in our lives who we go, they're not necessarily the best influence or they don't inspire me so much. How do you make those choices and how do you let go of the ones that aren't so great for you? So um, I teach conflict management, um, a little different from conflict resolution. By the way, I'm not sure we ever can resolve conflict, but we can manage it. So um, a lot of times when you, um, I tell people that you have a choice whether you continue a relationship. It's okay to close a relationship and people are absolutely shocked in the class. They say, I say, for instance, their mother has given them a problem. Their brother has given them a problem. I say, close the relationship. You can do that? I say, yeah, you can. You just close the relationship. Keep in mind that you can reopen it later, maybe, thankfully, if you can. But it doesn't have to be permanent. But take advantage of your choices. And so What does closing uh, that relationship look like? So if you wanted to close a relationship with your sibling or with someone you've been friends with somehow just kind of through inertia, you've been friends with somebody for years and you realize yeah. at some point in time, I'm really getting so much out of this. How do you close that relationship? Yeah. So a lot of times, uh, like a friend might be doing something that really irritates you and you're not enjoying the company. So you simply stop calling them. Just, that's it. We're not going to deal with you anymore. Or if you want to be even more honest, you say, let's take a break from each other. Let's see how we do. If we come back together, that's great. And if not, that's okay too. It's simple. Like it's okay to create options in your life, right? And and to offer a choice out. You know, people feel so compelled to um, a line of thinking that is a bias. That, that this is what I'm talking about. Is you know we can use a metric of creating options, offering ourselves choices, right? And we empower ourselves. Yeah. Well, they think coming back to again those very early decisions that you made in terms of having the, the, the strength and the wherewithal and the personal responsibility, and I'll call it the leadership aspects that you said, this isn't a path I want to be on. I want to yeah. be on a different path. It's not who I want to be. Right. I mean, who, who do I want to be? So that means you're setting goals. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be caring and compassionate? Or do you want to be someone who just rolls with the, the thunder and the wind that comes your way? Let's talk about, about some of the other conflict resolution strategies. So um, you talk about that there are three, because I think, uh, you know, it's really the anger that's in the environment right now really troubles me. And I think that that's really tied closely to the, there's conflict and then conflict resolution. And do you have to live in this anger and bathe in this anger? And how do you, how do you get out of, uh, out of these interactions? So um, you talk about three devils that are at the root of, of anger. Right. So the three devils are injury to your sense of self injury to your sense of control, and injury to your sense of rightness about the world. Um, think about the opposite of, of, um, of 
uh, feeling in control. People that have no sense of control, they can't control their lives, right? People um, whose sense of self has been um, struck and people who think that the sense of rightness about the world, their options are limited. Those people are in jail, personal jail or in actual jail. And, and that's not a great place to be. And that's why limiting options, denying choice and disempowering others doesn't work. So how do you like do that? Is what I say is you create options, you offer choice and you empower others. So, so how do I, how, how I, feel like, how I feel like somebody has insulted me or, you know, as we're seeing around that there's a whole, there's a, a broader so, of, let me give you uh, the big example that we're all facing right now. We're watching protesters and rioting and things like that, right? So people are upset with those people. Um, some people perhaps like what they're doing, but I am a person who's not happy with that. But I, you know what? I love those people because those people are my best friends. They are showing me the breaks in the system that I love. In other words, I, I think this is a great country. But they're showing me, hey, we've got all these problems. Someone who doesn't have their bravery, let's say, um, is, is not showing me that. So now I know what I have to fix. So they're my best friends. They're showing me what my weaknesses are. So how do we find a way to get to those people? How do we get them back in the fold if they choose to be? Um, and then we can fix the system. But Absolutely. to hate them is just not, that doesn't make sense to hate them. They're, we're, there's a, there's a funny saying, it's, we're intimately connected along the lines of our disagreement. I got that. But there's a great line that gave me great hope in the book, which talked about disruption creates opportunity. And the, the greater the disruption, the greater the opportunities. Yes. So it think how much opportunity there is today. We have so much disruption. But we have to learn to, to um, I've got these three things that I think matters, kindness, compassion, and tolerance. There's an opportunity for us to make kindness, compassion, and tolerance matter. I know what everybody else wants things, to, what they want to say matters, but I say those three things are things that will bring us back together. And to find those, is that a reframing project? So you want to be angry, you want to say, I have a different opinion, you don't know, but to find that you have to reframe to get back to the tolerance and the compassion. I think it takes greater awareness. Uh, you, you have to understand anyone can break things, right? Any idiot, frankly, right. anyone challenged can break things. Um, like when you were a child, you could break things and expect somebody to fix your toys or give you a new one. I still break You're things. I expect someone to fix it. Yeah, now we're adults, okay? So now you've got to be special to build. And, and I look back at the forefathers of this country who developed one of the, the um, top civilizations in the world and say those people were special. They came up with a system of government that had checks and balances. Um, it's something that allows so much protest to even go on. And, and now we have an opportunity from those wonderful people to share with us that we, we need to fix some things. So instead of looking with hatred upon these things, you can look with love upon those people and say, hey, okay, thank you for, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing what's wrong. Now let's work together to fix it. Right, and then you talk about creating options, offering choices, and then empowering people other than myself. Yes. C-C-O. Yeah, Cuccio. I call it say that right? Yeah, I, I call it Cuccio. So C-O, create options. Right. O-C, offering choices. Right. And empowering others and ourselves. When we empower other people by doing that, we, we all become empowered. And it's uh, you can get a lot more done. Um, when, by the way, when I, um, if you think about how people parent, right, 
um, shut the door, get to sleep, don't do this, do that. So there's a very limiting um, option set when you're bringing young children up and it's sometimes necessary, you, you, you know, back off of the curb, you know, you don't want someone to get hurt at a park on a sidewalk. But as we get older, that's, uh, that shifts because people as adults don't wanna to be told what to do. Instead, we have to give them options and let them choose to honor them and their person and let them have the consequences. So um, I say for parenting, uh, consequences first, love is second, and you're not in charge. Okay, so um, for children, you get to be in charge when you pay your own way. So if you're a college kid living at home, you're not in charge, okay? Because you're not paying your way, all right? So get used to it. Um, who is it? Ortega, uh, my, my favorite philosopher, he says, unhappiness is the permanent bruise each and every one of us gets when we come face to face with reality. So get used to some unhappiness. And, and, um, and the uh, Buddhists have a, a, a concept called tapaisa, and that's self-suffering. And, and by the way, that really helped me when I went through my cancer treatment. But, you know, I had stem cell transplant. I lost my fingernails, my toenails, my hair, my tongue. I lost everything on my body from the chemicals. And because I was like determined that it's okay to suffer, it made a difference in my attitude and how I was able to go through it. So if people are, can have this sense of, of suffering, that suffering is okay, then they will do better in, as they explore, hopefully with curiosity, like how they can make change. Yeah, it's funny, you talk about a friend who, one of your athlete friends about pain and how yes. we've all um, been trained that pain is bad. Yes. Um, and I've talked about this in some other podcasts in terms of you know, that the opioid crisis where we were training people that you have to have pain of zero. No, you're never going to have pain of zero. Yes. And that pain is a, is a message to you, different types of pains in different way, but it's a message to you to pay attention. Right. But I don't want to like draw into like question somebody who has such pain that they need to have whatever they have. Mm -hmm. What I'm talking about is learning in, in small incremental ways to handle right. pain yeah. and handle it more and more. And, and that experience for me really helped me as I went through cancer and stem cell transplant. But um, even in, and beyond in your life, again, there's pain when it's disappointment pain, things didn't go your way, the house burned down, those are all pain. But yeah. pushing through it, taking responsibility, shifting your framing and being able to come up with action plans and different options moves you past that pain and has it be a motivation. Right. And I would also say the more you blame others, you're then magnetically pulled to the past by blaming others. So we want to get rid of that magnetism. We don't want to be controlled by the past. We want to know, we want to be able to build our future as we want it to be. The more you blame others, the more controlled by the past you are. Interesting. Now, one other last topic I want to talk about, because mentors have played a really important role in your life. Um, so talk about that for a second. So um, from perspective of mentors, I'm one lucky guy. <laughs> okay, So I was uh, kicking and screaming against mentors my whole life by not understanding what value they could have and not being prepared to accept a better knowledge of somebody who's experiencing and um, greater understanding of the world would, would benefit me. And I just couldn't get there. So I happen to be lucky enough to meet uh, a gentleman, uh, Dr. Edmund Ostrander, who took an interest in me. And you can read about it in the book, uh, the chapter on mentors. And um, I actually took his storytelling class and flunked storytelling. 
So in case you all are thinking that I'm really smart and that's why I'm doing good, I'm no smarter than any of you, so believe me. You, none of you probably have flunked storytelling. And so, um, and, and by the way, storytelling is so important in life. I'm learning how to tell stories. Um, the greatest negotiators tell the best stories. Mm -hmm. so, um, but I flunked storytelling. And the, the great um, sort of investment that my mentor made in me is he pulled me aside and he said, Steve, you flunked. He said, but if you'll take the course again, um, I will give you an A right now for the course. And I just, what an offer. He just, and, and you know, I'm sure college administrators be like cringing and saying, I can't believe that professor did that, you know, against school rules. But he, he had a feeling that I could, um, that, that he could discover within me hidden talents. And I think he did. I, and I think he took me on as this like test of, a litmus test of his ability to teach and to find good people. And he, I think he felt that if he could get me to tell one good story, that, that he would have, um, you know, really been um, successful. Right. So that was how I came to be mentored and realized the importance of mentors. And I have now mentees. I have, you know, maybe 10 people that I mentor now and, um, and gleefully so. I'm so happy to be able to share um, ideas when other people's lives uh, need the ideas. So. They're surprising. A lot of people feel like they have to do things on their own or they're afraid to accept that help or they're embarrassed to ask someone to mentor them. So how do they get over that hurdle? I think it's about trust. Um, and I think that you, you don't overwhelm somebody with uh, mentoring help. I think it's, you build on it. So somebody asks for a small opinion and, and how you frame that, right? You, you frame it as an option. You frame it as um, you have to make your own decision, but let me give you these uh, things to think about. And I won't tell you what to do. And, and I make that so clear that I have enough trouble around my own life. I've already said that once, but it's bears repeating. Um, I can't run yours. And so that, I think a good um, mentor knows how to get out of the way. And that's what my mentor did with me is he, he helped me, but he got out of my way and allowed me to flourish. Now you were lucky because your mentor showed up magically in your life. Some people like, how do you find a mentor? How do you know like to, to go look, to go ask for them? Because some people, again, they're struggling alone um, and they might even know that they need some assistance, but no. Okay, so the whole idea of, we talked about who are you? So determine who you are, determine who you, who you wanna be. If you, if you like um, reading, for instance, then go to libraries, right? Um, go to book readings. Um, Go to look for people in your community who have the same interests as you and ask them. Most people that are doing well or even marginally well are happy to share their influence. They're happy. Just ask them. You might go like someone could even ask me, hey, would you mentor me? I'd say, well, let's talk about it. And it might come to something where it would be a pay for coaching thing. Um, but um, I do have several um, mentees that it's, there's no payment, just we collaborate and the payment then becomes better than you can imagine because they become successful and they share their success with me. So, um, but anyone looking for a mentor, I say, determine who you are, spend some time in reflection and, and figure out who you are, not, not who people want you to be, but what are your interests? Who, who do you wanna be? If, if, if you weren't getting paid to do anything, what would you do? So figure out who you are and then Follow those interests and you will find people like you who will then be willing to help you. Now, a mentor, 
I have mentors in my life and they don't even know they were my mentors. They were my friends. They were people that I learned from that. Is there an aspect to, I'll call it just being open to the learning from other people that you develop a friendship, you develop a relationship and realizing that somebody through that relationship is a mentor, but it's not like you said, could you please be my mentor? And could we meet three times a month so to be able for, for you to give me mentoring? Because I, I think people can get overwhelmed with the process or the fear of the asking um, versus, I mean, what you're suggesting is you go find, and some of my mentors exactly were that, were that way. It's like, um, you know, through hobbies, through groups that we were with, and then a teacher that um, I was able to learn from and befriend. Um, and that, so that that's a more, so that it's natural, so that it's not a frightening, overwhelming task for people. Yeah, I, again, finding things that you do with other people. So for instance, I do a lot of mountain biking. So I find friends and we maybe cross mentor each other. And we don't even acknowledge it, but we're like seeking advice from each other and, and counseling. But uh, the other thing is people that are really stressed on um, challenge, let's say they're challenged. Um, as I said, I wasn't ready for mentoring. I, I think that's part of what you have to do is make yourself ready. You know, don't be the uh, pattern, the cookie cutter that you were de destined, you think you were destined to be, but be the person you want to be. Make that change in your life. And I, um, when people ask me to sign the book, I always write, B-I-Y, believe in yourself. Right. You, you've got to believe in yourself and, and make yourself who you want to be. Don't, in my opinion, I don't have a laissez-faire um, methodology for people. I don't think you should just be who, what you were born into. I think you should be who you, who you want to be. Define yourself and then put yourself in situations where, where, um, where people would want to mentor you. you you've produced yourself. You have a, an aura about yourself that you know who you want to be. And so people, who will, they will want to mentor you and you'll want to be with them. So mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you're in the bottom, you're, you're kind of at your last wit's end or something, you, you, um, you haven't made yourself like attractive to be mentored. And, and I was that person. I had to work on who I was so that I could be mentorable, if you would. Right. Let's go back to those kids real briefly, um, because there are a lot of kids who need mentors, but they can't, they don't have the access to it. They don't necessarily can't look, they can't ask for it. They're certainly not going to go up to their you know, music teacher and say, hey, will you be my mentor? So is there a role or a responsibility for the people listening here to think about what can they do to touch a child's life? Because children are in such desperate need, so many of them who come from challenged families such as yours um, that could use a, a resource and a, a safe space. I, I think it's up to us to actually reach out um, and, and take some chances, right? Take risks. I, I, have a, I think I have a real good uh, advice about taking risks. Um, so if, if your intentions are good, you'll outwork the problems you create. So, you know, people don't necessarily always want to. I'll give you an example from my book. I have a very young fellow that I met through um, the local cable uh, station. Mm -hmm. He wanted to start a business doing audiobooks. So he's the one who's doing the audiobook for Break the Curse. Mm. And I took a chance. And, and he, you know, someone, ha you have to reach out. And, and so I think that works, but you have to have confidence. And I think the confidence piece, I, I tell my sons as we run our business, again, so um, if your intentions are good, you'll outwork the problems you create. We're all going to have problems, whatever choices we make. Uh, taking a risk, not taking a risk, there's problems. But you'll outwork them. If you're a hard worker, you know who you are, and your intentions are good. 
you're going to be okay. So then take a chance to maybe pull somebody up who needs to be pulled up. My men mentor, Ed Ostrander and Linda, his wife, they both pulled me in. They took a chance with me and um, I outworked it and they outworked the problems I created for them. And then you paid it forward. And I'm trying to pay it forward now, yeah. And, uh, and by the way, Linda wrote the forward on my book, which was fabulous. So um, she's, you know, she's just wonderful and you, you couldn't meet uh, a nicer person. And, and, and she's such a patient person. Um, she, I always remember when her husband was uh, being particularly irascible. <laughs> she, would, she would say, now, Ed, <laughs> just to kind of remind him, now, Ed, that's not, that's not the best you, Ed. So, you know, she just had this way of um, like handling, quote, unquote, that may not be a nice word, but her husband, and, and she was just wonderful. So she's pulled me aside. She, she puts her thumb on me now and then. I'll give you an example. I'll plug a book that I really like. Um, a book called The Chalice and the Blade by Rianne Eisler. And um, that book is for men like me who don't understand, haven't yet come to the understanding of their influence on women. And the book suggests that, there, that we speak in terms that put women at a disadvantage. So Linda said to me, you're going to read this book, Steve. <laughs> and so I did. So that's what I mean. She's a mentor. It's hard. What's that? Did you learn from it? Oh, I certainly did. And she, uh, no, like, a, should, should we get your wife on now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, no, I, I know. And she had a great quote, by the way. And she said, you cannot stand in the corner of a round room. Uh -huh. I, I believe that's part of what's happening today in our environment, that, that people are trying to stand in a corner. The room, the, the room is round. There is no corner. You can't take, pick a corner and say, my corner is more important than yours. There's no corners. So and I, that came from Rianne Eisler's book. And and it, it, it was in reference to um, how men speak when they're around women. Like, um, so how did you do on that project? I hit that hard, it came out great. So hit that hard is a place that you put women that is um, not on equal standing. Mm -hmm. So you have to find other ways to say, I think we were pretty successful, not I hit that hard. Because, and, and, and you, we saw a candidate, uh, for some office, I won't mention which one, but they, they spoke about um, like how to handle a situation and they used that kind of language. And it was really obvious that, that they were not clued in to what you need to think about and how you need to watch how you speak so that you can not um, place someone at a disadvantage unknowingly. But yeah. Linda was great. She said, you read this book, Steve. You need it. There's some great books out there about the different language for men versus women in particular, the way that we language and the way um, that the men and women frame things, hear things. Yep. Um, yeah, that's great. Great advice. All right, yeah. Steve Kelly, I've loved talking to you. Your book is phenomenal. Break the Curse, the breakthecursebook.com if anyone wants to learn more about Steve or the book. So best of luck, go touch more lives. Your, your personal responsibility, your framing, like the lessons of that book are phenomenal. So I really appreciate it. I love talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. You're terrific. Thanks. I'm talking to Steve Kelly, author of Break the Curse, about the powerful opportunity for everyone to be a leader in their own lives. According to Steve, no matter the hand you're dealt, you have the choice to reframe it in a way that puts you in a power position rather than a victim one. Steve is an example of the types of top experts we feature in our newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, where we provide expert advice to guide readers into action and educated decisions in their own lives. In addition to guidance to help you be a better you, 
Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice on all aspects of your life, including living a healthy life, home and garden maintenance, credit card smarts, finding the best insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, travel safety, and even the latest gadgets for your home or office. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.